Good morning, beloved. Good morning, good morning. Uh, This morning we will be in Matthew chapter 13. So please make your way to Matthew chapter 13, beginning there in verse 44 of Matthew's gospel. So Matthew 13, beginning verse 44. I want to begin by asking you a question today. If you could go anywhere in the world for a week or two weeks, where do you think you might go? I see somebody raising their hand, right? Yeah, excited, right? Pop, pop, go take you, yeah? Absolutely, right? So where do you think right now? If you thought right now for a moment, man, I had an opportunity to go anywhere for a week or two weeks, where might you go? Imagine that you're now headed to that place and you find yourself at at a local airport, maybe here in the state, and as you make your way through there, you come to the TSA, right, where they begin to ask you to empty your pockets and check, and you, you've got your carry-on luggage with you. And in that moment, the TSA invites you to come on over and share with them a little bit more of some of the things that you've brought with you. And in that moment, as you begin to make your way to the TSA and a little thorough, more thorough check, you realize that you're in quite the predicament because you glance at the clock realizing that the, the departure time for your flight is soon arriving. As you empty your, uh, as you empty some of your treasures there on the table and lay everything before them, you realize that you've actually got your dad's keepsake pocket knife with you. In that moment, you've got to make a decision. If you take your dad's pocket knife back to them and mail it back home so you don't have to lose it, likely you're going to miss your flight. If you leave dad's pocket knife laying there on the table, you still have an opportunity to make your flight. The question is, do you give up that treasure to make that destination? So maybe just by a poll of the audience this morning, how many of you, if that's you, you're going to leave your dad's pocket knife or whatever laying there, realizing that you're probably, you're going to lose the knife, but you're going to make the flight. How many, how many of you are leaving the knife going for the flight? A few? How many of you now are saying, hey, listen, I, I'm taking dad's knife. I'm going to mail it back home and miss my flight. How many of you are there? Yeah. I would like to tell you that today's message is one of those where you just got to make a a similar, I mean, maybe a tough decision, but maybe a little bit easier. The reality is today, Jesus is going to call you to give up every possession. He's going to call you to lay down what's most valuable to you. He's going to say to you that the kingdom of heaven is so valuable that it's worth giving up everything else for. Jesus is going to say to you today that the kingdom of heaven is so valuable that it's worth giving up everything else for. Yet the temptation can be to think that some things in life are just too valuable. Like maybe it's a certain possession that you think there's just no way I could give that up. Or maybe it's a way of life. Or maybe it's finances. Or maybe it's bitterness or anger that you're holding on to. And you just think that there's no way, as Jesus calls you to come and surrender, to lay down your life, to, to inherit this treasure, you just think it's impossible But today, maybe as you hear this text, you'll begin to realize that this truth comes to you. That you can actually win by losing. That there's actually the possibility of coming as you come to Christ that you, yes, you're going to give up things. But man, there's the beauty of knowing that you are winning by losing. Why? Because of the kingdom's value. And because of the kingdom's value, today I compel you in light of this gospel, I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit that you will surrender everything to God. That in essence you will come today opening your hands and saying, God, as Isaiah said, here am I, what? Send me. Lord, here I am. Everything I have is yours. Everything, Lord. I surrender my family to you. I surrender my finances, my job, my way of life. 
Maybe my living even in this community, Lord, I lay everything down. I realize that there is a greater treasure. You see, in Matthew 13, it's interesting. Matthew 13 is seemingly at the middle of Matthew's gospel, 28 chapters. It's interesting that Jesus in here tells us seven parables about the kingdom. And seven is God's number, the number of completion. There's a sense in which Jesus is saying to us, if you want a glimmer, a picture of what the kingdom of heaven looks like, here it is in seven great truths or parables or stories. And Jesus finishes the day with the last three, reminding us of the greatness and the gravity of the kingdom and this truth, that the kingdom of heaven is so valuable, it's worth giving up everything else for. First truth we see is the kingdom's value means it's wise to give up everything else. Right? The kingdom's value means that it's wise to give up everything else. Jesus shares two parables to hammer home this truth. Remember, the disciples have now, he's, he's drawn back from the large crowd. This is him and the disciples alone as he's talking to them and he's explaining to them further what the kingdom of heaven is like. Look what he says, beginning in verse 44 of Matthew 13. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his jewel, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. While it wasn't common, right, the people of that day live in a culture there's no banks. So the reality is they have to hide their treasure somewhere, right? And not only is there no banks, there's not locks necessarily on the doors, right? And so the reality is there's a great potential for someone to take your, your greatest treasures. So sometimes in that day they would go and hide treasures in a field, covering those treasures up that other people wouldn't know where they were. And, and the, the story encounts their, or recounts the fact that this man is walking along seemingly in this field and he comes upon this treasure hidden in the field. And he finds that treasure and look what he does. He says he, found, he finds it, he covers it up and then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has that he might buy that field. Why? Because he realizes that what he had previously is nowhere in comparison to the worth of the treasure that he has now found. He's willing to sell everything. Look at that. He sells all. Why? Here the reason is so that he can have or buy that field. He wants that great possession. Let's be honest. I mean, most of us, when we think about Jesus and the Bible and we think about heaven, of course we want to go to heaven when we die. Of course, most of us say we want Jesus. But the challenge is, are we willing to give up everything for him? Are we willing to lay down our lives that we might truly have this great possession, this great treasure? And listen, it's important to remember that when Jesus here talks about the kingdom of heaven, as he's been doing again seven different times here in different parables or stories, he isn't just talking about a place that we go when we die, although that's part of it. The kingdom of heaven is at hand, and so there's a real way in which he's saying it's God's rule and reign over all things. And that means it's God's rule and reign over every area of your life. The kingdom of heaven coming to you is a moment in which it's a moment of surrender. Why? So that you can experience the fullness of the kingdom, God's peace, God's joy, God's mercy, God's grace, God's love, God's kindness, God's self-control. It's the fruit of the Spirit. God's kingdom ruling and reigning in your life in this small way reminds us all of the hope of the true kingdom of heaven that is coming, the greater, the ultimate fulfillment, as he's going to show us in a moment, the casting out of evil and all those workers of unrighteousness. So indeed, coming to Christ and indicates a desire for the rule and reign of God over your life. Coming to experience treasure of Christ indicates that you have a desire to repent, to turn from your way of life and enjoying what Christ has to offer you. 
But Jesus being the master teacher doesn't just tell us this truth in one parable. He does it again in the sixth parable of this seven. Look what he says beginning verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven. So again, he's talking to us again about the kingdom constantly. He says it's like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value, again, you may have heard of it defined as the pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. The parable differs, right, because the man, look what the man is doing. This man is actually, it says, he's in search of fine pearls. And the opening one, it's, it's seemingly as if the man just stumbles upon it like, what is this? But, but nonetheless, right, that the truth is the same. Watch what both people are willing to do. Both of them, listen, this guy right here goes and he went and he sells all that he has so that he can buy it. The same as what was said before, right? He went and sells all. That was the point, right? Both parables are saying to us, listen, in this parable, we might say that the merchant likely has other pearls. He has other valuables. But now he's found one of, as the text indicates to us, of such great value that everything else hells in comparison to it. The parables say to us, guys, today, here's the wise thing to do. The kingdom's value is so great, it's worth selling and giving up everything else for. It's willingness to say, God, you have what I most need and most desire, and I can't earn it or get it on my own. But the truth is, maybe you're like me. I mean, when you think about hearing this type of text, you begin to think about all the things that God might ask you to give up. And that becomes hard, right? I mean, it it seems difficult, like... And maybe you've seen, like, maybe felt like at times in your life that it was just a duty to serve God. Like, you just felt like, oh, go to church today. Oh, got to serve today. Oh, man, I need to forgive somebody today. Like, it just feels like this burden. But look what happens here back in verse 44, the first parable, I think is absolutely profound. So again, hear the parable in context and then hear the statement. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then, listen to what the text says here. Then in his what? In his joy. He goes and sells all that he has. He goes and sells everything, not because he has to, but because he wants to. Some translations say there are here, it is from joy. There's a sense in which the joy is happening internally that now he desires to give up everything else. He's realized he has a greater possession and treasure in Christ than all the world. The things of the world seem meaningless, insignificant. This treasure, this this king, this kingdom, it brings joy to his heart. Listen, he he does it not because he has to, but because he wants to. And, And I just asked a question as I read this the other day. How does this happen? How does someone come to a place of having that kind of joy? I think the text of the Bible tells us, and I would turn maybe just for a moment if you would, just look at me at just Romans 14. I think Paul speaks about it in Romans 14 and Romans 15, maybe give us a little more clarity of why is there such joy for this person to be willing to give up everything else to have Christ in the kingdom. Romans 14, beginning in verse 17. For the kingdom of God. So again, we have a similar context, right? Paul's talking about the kingdom of God. That's what he says. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and what? Joy. And then listen to this statement. In what? The Holy Spirit. There it is. Listen to Romans fifteen thirteen just for a moment. Let's just maybe unpack them both together. Romans 15, verse 13. May the God of hope 
fill you with all what? Joy. There it is again. So the joy is there. Notice what he says here. It's the God of hope. So God is, God is doing something. God is the one that's filling us with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of whom? The Holy Spirit. So again, now we have the Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Notice this statement here again. Paul says the God of hope is going to fill you with all joy in peace. Notice when it happens here. It's in the moment of what? In belief, in that moment of seeing and recognizing the kingdom is actually that valuable. There's a work, God says, of the work of the Holy Spirit abounding in you. The Spirit is now, as he says there in 1417 of Romans, he says the joy in the Holy Spirit, the kingdom of God is realized. Why? It's the work of the Holy Spirit, beloved. The Spirit is working, what? Through the Scriptures. Sharing the truth of God's Word. It's causing today, as you hear this story, for some of you who are in Christ, your Spirit is saying, the Spirit of God in you is saying, yes, amen, give up everything. You feel maybe a compellingness to surrender some area of your life, maybe that you've been holding on to, fighting with God, wrestling over. There's a sense of Spirit saying, give that up, my beloved. For some of you who are apart from Christ, even now you begin to experience conviction of the Spirit. The Spirit saying to you, the kingdom of God is worth giving up everything else for. Repent. Come to Christ. Experience joy. Did you hear that? I mean, that, this, is, this is part of why it seems so radical to see believers. Because they have joy in laying down their life for others. This is why you're alive. I mean, listen, I was talking to a brother just here recently. Was going through an issue and he said, listen, there's another gentleman in the church that came and helped me. I didn't even know about it. I was like, man, what could possess a man to live such a way? And I know this brother. God, I want to tell you, it's the Spirit of God in him. It's the Spirit of God that would compel people to lay down their Halloween plans to go and love on the community. It's the Spirit of God in people like Karen and Jeff and others who serve the kids from March through all these times. And other people, I know you've all come along helping deliver. What compels people to live like such a way? I see some in the balcony who are compelled toward those in Honduras and, and they're actively serving. Some of you here in this church feel that. What compels people to lay down their life? What compels people to give up vacation? What compels people to lay down their finances? What compels people to leave their family? It must be Christ. It's the power of the Holy Spirit, beloved, that gives you the joy to do it. It's joy to serve. It's joy to love. It's joy to even forgive. Oh man, beloved, when you see that statement in joy, he went and sold all that he had. You must realize that you could never do this on your own. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. One of our boys recently was um, feeling like he needed to make a purchase. He had some birthday money, and I don't know if you, you're there. Sometimes that money will burn a hole in your pocket, right? I mean, it's like, man, i got to spend it. And so he had his eyes on a Lego set, and so he was just like, man, I just, I gotta have that Lego set. And I was like, bro, I just want you to know, that Lego set's expensive, man. And I was like, I just want you to know, it's gonna cost you. And he's like, dad, dad, I know, but it's gonna be so worth it. And then I watched this phenomenal thing that he gets this Lego set and he brings out the money from his birthday that he'd been saving up and he joyfully hands it over. Why? Because he believed that that Lego set was worth more to him than the money, the possession he had. Guys, listen, in a similar way, is Christ not too good to give up everything for? 
Do you not see the beauty of Christ today and think, man, it's worth laying down my life. It's worth serving. It is worth forgiving. It is worth just showing the love and the mercy and grace of God. It's the kingdom of God come inside of me by the power of the Holy Spirit. Maybe today might we just ask, is there something in your life you're settling for less than Christ? For example, maybe this week it might mean not responding hatefully to your spouse, even though you really want to. Like, I mean, those moments, do you have that when somebody does you wrong or hurts you or says something mean or hateful? What? What we're doing? We're selling our flesh. We're laying down what our flesh wants to do in that moment back to our parents or back to a teacher or a coworker or somebody in social media or whatever it is that moment you just want to get revenge or let your feelings be known. But in that moment, you are selling, saying, God, it is not about me. The kingdom of God is in me, dwelling in me. I am giving up what I desire and long to do that Christ might be exalted. Oh, glory be to Christ. Even when I'm wrong, even when I'm angry, even when my flesh wants to get revenge. You see why this treasure is so valuable yet so hard? It's a challenge. Listen, guys, this means that to grab hold of the kingdom, you're going to have to open your hands and let go of everything else. To have hold of the kingdom, beloved, you must open your hands and let go of everything else. And Jesus says, listen, guys, the kingdom value means it's actually wise to give up everything else. And then he shares with us another truth in the in the seventh and last parable of Matthew 13. And it's this idea. The coming end means it's wise to give up everything else. The coming end of the kingdom means it's wise to give up everything else. Listen to this seventh and last story that Jesus tells, this parable. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown in the sea. Verse 47. Of Matthew 13. And gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good in the containers, but they threw the bad away. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The imagery is one that these guys would have known well, right? They're, most of them or many of them are fishermen. If not, they live in a culture of fishermen. They know what that looks like. They know what it's like that they go and throw this massive net out there and then it takes many of them. If you even watch sometimes in other cultures, they still do this. They get a big group of men seemingly on one side and another big group of people on the other side and they're all working together pulling this big big net in, this, this big net that's, that's out here in the water and it's pulling all it in. And inside that net, guess what? They've caught some fish they want to keep, but they know they've got other fish that, man, that are bad and they've got to throw away things they don't want to keep. Jesus is again using the parable while, look what he says, so it will be. The parable is to help give us an imagery of what's to come. And he says it's the same way. This is the Im- imagery of the end of the age. When the angels will come and separate the evil from the righteous. Jesus again repeating himself. Just like we heard if you were with us last week. We walked through the parable of the weeds. Right? And you might ask, well, why would anybody repeat themselves so soon after? I mean, my assumption is if you are maybe over somebody at your job or maybe a parent or a grandparent, maybe a coach, a teacher, right? My assumption is you've probably had a moment in which you've had to repeat yourself. Why? Because some things bear repeating. Jesus here now is repeating to us again to let us know the truth of what is to come at the end. Maybe it's because his disciples are wondering, like, God, is, is, is it really worth it to give up everything? And Jesus is reminding them, listen, beloved, know the end that is coming It is wise to spend your life now for the kingdom of God. You will not regret it. 
The kingdom is coming. The end is real. The separation is eternal. And it's harrowing what the, the separation is. Look, he says, verse 50, and throw them, speaking of the evil. That's who the, the them is. The evil into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The weeping, speaking of the emotional, mental pain that is there. The gnashing of teeth, the unending pain that is there physically. The no escape. This separation that's coming, beloved, it, it's terrifying. It's separation of the evil and the righteous. It's a reminder that ultimately there are only two kinds of people in this world. There are only actually two kinds of people this morning in this church. There's actually only two kinds of people in the pew this morning. It's the lost and the saved. It's either the evil or the righteous. And here's the, here's the reality, guys. Evil's the default, default course for us all. I mean, it's the kingdom that we're born into, but it's also the kingdom that we choose. We, we think somehow because of our sinful nature that this world will somehow satisfy. That it will somehow please and give what we ultimately need. We need this peace or we need security or we need reassurance or we need to be like loved and, and, and just like other people praise us. Like whatever it is we're after, this world seemingly offers that, but it's always temporary and it never provides. I mean, let's be honest. Look around today. Look at the kingdom of this world. I mean, don't be deceived today to think that like this is actually the kingdom of God. Don't be deceived today to think that somehow the presidential candidate or a new job or like the perfect retirement or a clean bill of health, that like some of that will satisfy you forever. Guys, it's all temporary. There is only one kingdom that is forever. This kingdom of this world will come to an end. And all those who follow the kingdom of this world, Jesus says they'll be separated from God forever. He says it's a place, again, of a fiery furnace of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Those are sobering words, beloved. This is our king. This is God speaking to us, telling us, reminding us the value of the kingdom of God, the value of the kingdom of heaven. That it's more valuable than anything else. I was struck, I just read an article, I don't know if it was this week or last week, and it was talking about sometimes as preachers, we have a tendency to try to encourage people to add discipleship to their life or, hey, come be a part of evangelism. And it said it, it seems maybe counterintuitive to what the gospel preaches because Jesus preaches that discipleship and evangelism is your life. And that other things fit in wherever they may, but this is the essence of the believer's life. This is why we look so different to the world and culture around us. And the crazy part is, according to this passage and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we have joy in doing so. It's, it's just ironic. The people of God's kingdom and how they live and how they think. And listen, guys, I mean, you may be here today and thinking, well, surely that's not me. I mean, like, Blake, if, if, I, if I knew I was headed to an end of a fiery furnace and a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, I would surely know it. I would be aware of the fact if that's where I was headed today. But are you really? Like, would you really? Jesus' parable reminds us that the world's way of judging doesn't always get it right. That God so often uses people on the surface who don't seem impressive. In fact, at times, the gospel itself can even appear not impressive, right? I mean, think about it. I mean, that's what Paul says when he says that the gospel, he says, it's, it's a stumbling block to Jews and it's foolishness to Gentiles. But to us who are being saved, it's, it's the very power of God. The, 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 the reality is people hear this gospel and they scoff at it. 
Why? I think it's because we as, as Americans, we as a culture, we value what you work for. And if you're going to get to heaven just like anything else, you got to work for it. you got to do your best. you got to make it happen. you got to climb and get as high as you can above everyone else. But, beloved, that's not it. The parable of both of these stories is, guess what? Even the merchant's looking for pearls, but he doesn't know that one's out there. That other man stumbles over it in the field as if he had no idea that's what he should even be looking for. It is a gospel of mercy and grace that God comes to you because you'll never make it to Him. It's counterintuitive to our culture, the way we approach life. It is one of surrender instead of one of making it your way, your, on your own way. This idea of being a good person and, and the work of the enemy is highlighted in the screw tape letters by C.S. Lewis. The screw tape letters are not for um, the young of the audience. Just be honest with you on that. They are, C.S. Lewis, again, this Christian author, this, this great thinker writes and it's the imagery is of a senior devil writing to his younger devil who he often refers to as nephew and the point is is he's working against those who might believe or even against believers to bring temptation and challenges into their life he writes to his nephew who's out on the tempting field and because he knows that he's working with a human being who's showing some spiritual interest Screwtape, being the senior devil, writes to his nephew, right? Again, this demon. So it's, it's a conversation amongst demons, right? It's, it's pretty intense. And he says this. I have some ideas on how you can destroy your human's budding spiritual interest. And this is what he says. Work hard then on the disappointment or the anticlimax, which is certainly coming to the patient during his first few weeks as a churchman. Providing that any of those neighbors sing out of tune or have boots that squeak or double chins or odd clothes, the patient will quite easily believe that their religion must therefore be somehow ridiculous. The point is, listen, as people come to the church, it just doesn't seem that impressive. He's saying the people don't sound that great. They don't look that great. They're thinking, is this really it? Boots that squeak, right? The the movement or the, the, the distractions of others around. He's saying whatever way you can, Help them think, this church, this gospel, this is a disappointment. But listen, the only reason why we can know that screw tape is saying something like this is true, why, how this is going to happen, why? Because we're consumed with the surfaces. We're evaluating churches and evaluating Christ based upon all of these things that are peripheral. It must be the gospel that you evaluate, beloved. It is hearing the word of God. Don't allow the other things of the world to distract you. Focus upon the truth of the gospel. That Christ came for sinners. Yes, you and I are created in the image of God and yet we're not bearing that image. And that because of that, listen, our sinful nature separates us from God. Yet God in His love sent forth His Son, Jesus Christ, who lived a sinless life and went to the cross and died not for His own sins but as our substitute. Dying in our place, taking our judgment and the wrath of God. That if any today here would hear and believe this Jesus who was crucified and buried on the third day was raised again. Proclaiming that he had victory over death, victory over our sins. It is the possibility of the gospel. Beloved, listen, don't be distracted. I am not the perfect mouthpiece. I know this, but beloved, the truth comes forth nonetheless, and this truth is perfect. Beloved, if you reject this, there is no other offer of salvation. 
It's the only hope of the gospel. And again, as the screw tape letters reveal to us, Satan is working in any way he can to distract us, to get our minds off of it, to discourage us. But guys, listen, the end of the age is going to show what kingdom you truly belong to. And for those of us who are followers of Christ, we come to this last truth. Those who understand the value of the kingdom, tell others about that treasure. Those who understand this value of the kingdom, tell others about Jesus, about the treasure. Look what happens. Begin in verse 51 of Matthew 13. Jesus asked the disciples, have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes. And he said to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasures what is new and old. One of the greatest scholars that's ever lived, D.A. Carson, says that the interpretations of this very passage here are legion. They are many. It is a challenging passage to understand, yet nonetheless, I think we should at least attempt to do our best. Look what he says here again, verse 52. Therefore, every scribe. A scribe is a, a religious leader, a teacher, right, who understood the word of God, but they also taught not only interpret those scriptures, they teach them to others. I think it might be helpful in trying to understand what's Jesus saying here to them about this every scribe who's been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house. It might be helpful to look back on the parable of the fine pearl. Thinking about it, right, that Jesus wasn't advocating there when that man goes and sells seemingly his other parables and other treasures that somehow you could buy your way into the kingdom of heaven. He's not saying that somehow you could work your way. Instead, he's saying this man's life had been bound up with having fine pearls. And, and maybe for the Jewish audience, I, I don't know, maybe those fine pearls represent the, their religious Jewish heritage and that way of life. But when they realize the value of this true pearl, this true treasure, they are willing to give up everything else. They have come to the conviction that Jesus is the true and greater David. Jesus indeed is the true and greater Moses. And Jesus is true and the greater high priest. Jesus says that we can't unhinge from the Old Testament as kind of the verbiage of the day is. But instead, it's the Old Testament, right? Which is indeed this old treasure that he's speaking of. It's the one that points to Christ. Christ indeed, yes, is the new treasure. But if you walk with Jesus in Luke 24, what you'll find is this. Is that all the old treasure ultimately points to the new treasure. And the reminder is the old and the new treasure all point to one person. His name is Jesus. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords, not just the New Testament, but the Old Testament, beloved. Everything in the Old Testament, Jesus says, is looking and pointing to Him. He is the ultimate treasure that the Jewish people of the Old Testament were looking and waiting for. And He is all the new treasure for those who will come under the new covenant of His blood. I think it's Jesus' point here that those who see His true identity will bring that treasure out before others. To share with them what they know and have come convinced of about this forgiveness of sins and that they've inherited now what they could never earn otherwise. The joy of being set free from all their anxieties or worries that once dictated their days or the joy of no longer being ruled by anger or bitterness. Maybe for some of you today as the grandparent or maybe a seasoned aunt or uncle, this year at Thanksgiving it's time to open up your treasure. Maybe for some of you it's Again, you're, maybe it's with your in-laws or maybe it's with a distant cousin that you don't often see. It's time for you to open up this treasure, right? Look what it says here. This master of a house, look what he does. He brings out the treasure. He, he opens it up before others, showing them, telling them about this treasure. I mean, what if right now you, you began to prayerfully consider 
What it might be like for that one person in your family to hear about you opening up about the treasure that you have found in Jesus. What if, like, as you again think about that, that this year maybe it's before the meal or on a side conversation, I don't know what it would look like. Maybe some of you as patriarchs and matriarchs, these, these grandma and grandpa figures who your family looks to, what if this year at Thanksgiving, before the blessing, you just briefly open and let them know that Jesus is your greatest treasure? And what if, imagine this, what if one day when that grandchild, when that niece or nephew, maybe some of you are the niece and nephew, so maybe it may be an older aunt or uncle or maybe it's your grand, I don't even know how God might use you. But what if one day, imagine this, that when they go to tell their story of how they came to Christ, what if their story begins with, it was just one year at Thanksgiving, and Grandpa, he just began to tell everybody about this great treasure he had found in Christ. And it was this amazing thing that happened by the Spirit of God that when Grandpa or that aunt or uncle opened up their treasure, that's when I found mine. I found the Jesus that they knew, the Jesus that they had loved, the Jesus that they had cared and worshipped and served. Can you imagine? Dear Christian, those who understand the value of the kingdom are those who tell others about the kingdom and the king. It's this hope of the gospel. Today, to the unbeliever, don't immediately dismiss these stories and ultimately dismiss Christ. One of the things that's ironic about these parables is the kingdom isn't where you think. The truth of life and spiritual peace isn't in the places you think. The treasure was hidden. In other case, the merchant just happened to blunder upon it as he was looking for other pearls. The tendency can be to think that I've heard the gospel in that church that I've driven past for all my life right here on Main Street. You can think, I know all of these people. I, I Listen, I, I know the preachers there. They're not that impressive. Maybe you think, listen, surely the, the secret to life and eternity would be found in some hidden cave somewhere, in some great mountain. And that seems to be Jesus' point. That the treasure can be right before you and you don't even see it or realize it because it comes in unimpressive people like me and maybe like you. Sure, there are greater teachers, Sunday school teachers. But God used one in a mighty way today in my family. Sure, the gospel may come in more impressive people out there sharing the gospel on their job site, but nonetheless, God has put you there to shake, take and share that gospel. To the unbeliever, listen, do not dismiss this. Hear Jesus' call to give up everything, to come and follow Him. The disciples did it. Right? Peter leaves the fishing. James and John leave dad in the family business. Matthew leaves the lucrative tax career. What's my point? It's not that you have to leave your profession to follow Christ. The point is it's more valuable than your profession. It's more valuable than your finances. It's more valuable than your family. It's more valuable than the country or land you've always known. Jesus asked the disciples that simple question. Have you understood all these things? To the unbeliever, have you understood that you are a sinner separated from God and yet God in His love sent Jesus Christ to die on your behalf to take the wrath and judgment of God that you could be forgiven and accepted before God for all eternity? Today, to the church, to the believers here today, is there a joy in laying down your life for Christ? Was there a joy today when you came, it came time to give? Maybe you give electronically, maybe you place it out there in the basket in the back. I don't know, but did you find a joy in that? Believer, did you find a joy today? Because that's what he says. He says, listen, when they give up this treasure, there's a joy in giving up everything else. There's a joy today in singing and worshiping God. 
Yeah, maybe you're like me when we sing all glory be to Christ and there's not instruments. I realize my voice doesn't. I don't even know what F is, right? I know that I probably got that great in singing. But listen, I don't even know what F is. But the point is this. There needs to be a joy that I don't care. My God's worth it. The treasure's worth it. So what if people hear that I'm out of tune or I missed that or I'm ahead or behind or too pitchy? Well, like, it's the treasure, man. He's worth it. Beloved, we must sing. We must surrender everything, even the fears of others. Child of God, is there a joy in not holding that grudge anymore and being willing to forgive? Maybe you got bitterness. Somebody's done you wrong. Maybe it was a former spouse. Maybe it was parents. Maybe it's somebody that's even already died and gone on. Maybe a former employer. I I don't know. But today, are you willing to embrace this kingdom? To surrender and lay down that bitterness, that unforgiveness, that you might experience the greatest treasure? There's joy. Believer, I'm asking today, what do you need to sell? What are you holding on to that's preventing you from pursuing Christ like you know that you should? Brother or sister, to grab hold of the kingdom, you must open your arms and let go of everything else. And in doing so, you'll be winning by losing. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray now that in the midst of my weakness, God, that you make the greatest proclamation this world has ever known or ever will know, that there is forgiveness of sins. There is a treasure that is great. And God, you've hidden it. Lord, you hid it last night, seemingly maybe there toward the end of the line at the park. God, you've hidden that treasure in your people as they go out this week to share the gospel in different places. God, you've hidden it in Sunday school teachers that maybe this world will never recognize or even know. But God, nonetheless, you have hidden the most valuable in seemingly places that others would overlook. And so, Father, I pray today for all who are here, they will not rush past this text because this text points them to the Savior. God, I pray, Father, please, that you will cause people to hear and believe upon the gospel. Thank you, God, that it's not about a feeling. Thank you, the truth of Christ has come. Lord, I pray now for your people, God. If there be believers here, who don't have that joy, I pray the truth of Psalm 51, David's words, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that believers in this place will cry out for you to restore the joy, that they'll have joy in sacrifice, joy in love, God, joy in pursuing the kingdom. Thank you for Christ. Thank you for rescuing us, God, even when we had no idea we even needed rescuing. Thank you, God, for who you are. Lastly, Lord, I pray for boldness for your people. Whether it's Thanksgiving, whatever it may be, it is time, Lord, for believers in this place. And I confess, as I studied this message, Lord, even as I preached it, I found ways of reasons I would make excuses of why I wouldn't share with family members. It's awkward. It'll make them on and on. God, you know all my weaknesses. So, God, I pray right now here on November 1st, preparing for those days to come in November, December, we see them. I pray right now in this place that you will move hearts, that they will say, God, give me boldness. Let me not be afraid or ashamed this year. God, open up the doors to share with people our great treasure who is Christ. God, we pray for their souls, Lord. God, it's their souls that are at stake. God, let us not go about our business as usual. God, please, Lord, let us see eternity, the gravity of it, Lord. Please, God. 
Help us share our treasure, which is Christ, so that others might come to know him. I pray it in Jesus' name, Lord. Amen. This is Todd Young with Greensburg Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us today. If you've accepted Christ during today's podcast, we would love to hear from you and connect you with a home church in your area. Or if you have questions regarding a relationship with Christ, Brother Blake and I would love to speak with you. Please contact us at the church office at 270-932-4495 or connect with us through our website at greensburgbaptist.com. In addition, you may visit our website anytime to access the sermon videos and podcast of any recent sermon. You may also subscribe to our podcast in the iTunes store. Have a great day today.